Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Father's Day. And um, I'm glad Sue mentioned our single guys because I know in this church particularly there are a number of guys who are not just father figures but brothers and very much uh, care for the younger guys in the church. And that's a very important role in the church. And uh, in my own experience as a young father when I was away on military exercises and operations uh, to have a number of friends, male friends that uh, filled in for me uh, was very, very valuable. So um, thanks Sue for mentioning that. I want to read a passage from Luke chapter 12 and uh, it's following on in our series in Luke Uh, I'm going to read uh, from verse 1, first three verses, and then verses 13 to 31. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, that is their hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, And all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Then someone called out from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. But he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you have worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not to have a rich relationship with God. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is worth more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you're far more invaluable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. 
They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God so cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Just think for a moment. What do you think non-religious or unreligious people worry about? What do people who don't claim they need a God of any sort, what do they worry about? I'd say, what becomes their God? I'd like to suggest to you that they think about two things, mostly. They think about what other people think about them, which leads to hypocrisy. Or they worry about and think about money, which leads to greed. Hmm. I'm sure the name Kerry Packer is familiar to many of you. Kerry Packer died a number of years ago, but in fact 2005. But Kerry Packer, when I was growing up, was a very, very well-known name. His dad was a guy called Sir Frank Packer, and he was a very wealthy man. He was a publisher of newspapers and magazines across Australia. When Frank died in 1974, <coughs> he left... <coughs> He left his fortune of 100 million Australian dollars to Kerry. Kerry was dyslexic. Couldn't believe that a, an owner of a publishing company uh, was dyslexic. But Kerry was dyslexic and he actually had a very poor relationship with his father. His father always had a go at him and said he was no good for anything. But Kerry worked very, very hard and built the family business. He became the owner of Channel 9 and all its associated groups. If you remember far enough back, he uh, established the World Series cricket competition, which is still impacting uh, sport, the way which sport is done around the world now. He owns the, owned the Crown Casino in Melbourne. He became the publisher of Consolidated Press, uh, printing such uh, magazines as Women's Weekly, Women's Day, Dolly, Cosmopolitan and a whole lot more. Many of them have gone now anyway with digital uh, online stuff. Uh, probably his greatest uh, business acumen, business coup, was in 1987, Kerry Packer sold the Nine Network to Alan Bond. And Alan Bond was another one, but he sold it for a billion dollars. Pretty, pretty good money. But wait, it gets better. Three years later, he bought it back from Alan Bond for $250 million. That's not a bad profit, is it? In 1990, Kerry Packer suffered a heart attack, which left him clinically dead for seven minutes before being successfully resuscitated. After he recovered, he was speaking to Nick Greiner, the then Premier of New South Wales, and Packer is reported to have said, Son, I've been to the other side, and let me tell you, there's nothing there. There is no one waiting there for you. There is no one to judge you. So you can do what you bleep, bleep, bleep like. That's words of wisdom, isn't it? 
He knows all about it. In 2005, Kerry Packer died, aged 68. And according to the Business Review Weekly, his $100 million fortune he had received from his father had grown to $6.5 billion. All because he was worried about what his father thought of him, even many years after his father had passed away. How can any man, first of all, need so much money? And how can, how can he be so confident that he is answerable to no one? But in actual fact, his whole life was spent being answerable to his father. Over the past weeks, we've been looking through the Gospel of Luke. I've loved that because it's my favourite book in the Bible. Last week, Pastor Mark led us through chapter 11, where we looked at Jesus running with the religious leaders of his day. They were objecting to him not keeping elements of the religious and ceremonial law. Jesus quickly pointed out their hypocrisy in that they did one thing in public in order to gain the praise of the people, but acted very differently in private. While what Jesus said was true, it won him few friends from among the religious leaders, of course. They were very upset that Jesus was calling them out in this manner. They knew that what he'd said about them was true, but their power and wealth was too great and had too big a hold on most of them. But as we read today, Jesus was winning the crowds. The crowds grew, it says, until thousands were milling about, stepping on each other. Can you imagine it? The people were falling over themselves to get a glimpse of the man Jesus. The disciples must have loved it. All their ideas of what Jesus was about were coming to pass. He was the Messiah. He was drawing in the people who would rally with him and somehow, in their opinion, overthrow both the Roman occupiers and the corrupt political and religious leaders, all who were intent on empowering themselves over the ordinary people. To be frank, the world in which Jesus came into was a mess. The rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? You see, the world has not really changed in 2,000 years. That's why God's word is so relevant for us today. It does speak to us in ways which we can understand. It warns us. It encourages us. And most of all, it tells us really what our Heavenly Father is like and what his expectations are of us, his creation. So if we looked more closely at the verses, first 12 verses of chapter 12, Jesus warns about hypocrisy. He's just given the religious heavies a serve, but now he turns to his own followers. And in a way, he turns to you and me if you follow Jesus. And he warns them and us not to fall into the same traps because we're all liable to fall into hypocrisy. None of us likes to think that we're any less than anybody else. We all want people to like us. So we're guilty too of spending a lot of our time trying to look much better 
than we really are. But Jesus warns a time is coming when everything done in private will be revealed. I don't think Jesus is telling this in order to embarrass us or frighten us into being good. What he's saying was God, our Heavenly Father, is seeking his true children to keep integrity in our lives. To have integrity is to have a sound moral character. Both when others are around us and when we are alone. And Jesus tells us we do not need to worry about trying to gain possessions which give the outward impression that we're successful. Because seeking a life, chasing the things of this world is not what God understands as success. In fact, Jesus said that if God looks after the birds of the air, providing them with food and shelter, don't you think that he'll look after you? I'm reminded of the first verse of Psalm 23. You probably know it. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Not want, not even desire, but I have everything I need. That's what Jesus is saying here. For the follower of Jesus, we are now living in eternity, even though we are bound by time. And God knows how. God knows and cares about us now. We don't need to scramble over others in order to appear important. Jesus first spoke of hypocrisy, which led him also to speak about what hypocrisy brings. It brings covetousness. Covetousness, that is an eager desire for wealth and possessions. We might call it greed, but it's, it's more insidious than that. It's deeper than that. We read further into the, uh, the chapter that it was typically in those days for rabbis, that is for the teachers of the day, to help settle legal disputes. And we read of a man in dispute with his brother over their recently deceased father's estate. They were having a squabble. Who better to go to than Jesus? And here in this big milling crowd, this man calls out, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. You might think that's a pretty reasonable request. But Jesus didn't want to get involved. Why? Because he knew that no answer he could give would solve the real problem. That is, the covetousness of the brothers. They were both greedy and no settlement would satisfy them. Covetousness is like an unquenchable thirst for getting more of something than we think we need to be satisfied. One pair of shoes. No, I need more. Two pairs of shoes, three pairs of shoes, and on it goes. It may be money, it may be possessions, or it could be power or influence. Jesus made it clear that true life does not depend on possessions. And he illustrates this with a story about a farmer who had a bumper harvest. In fact, he brought in such a harvest his silos and barns could not hold it all. But that brought about its own set of worries. What was he to do? So he solved his problem probably by taking out a very big loan and built more silos and barns. He was simply interested in himself. 
He gave no thought to giving his wealth away or blessing others not so well off as he. In fact, he acted as if he simply was being rewarded for all his hard work. He'd earned it, so he deserved to be allowed to sit back and take it easy. Does that sound familiar? But Jesus tells us, God said to him, you fool, you'll die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool, Jesus said, to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And this leads then to Jesus' most important point that he's making to his followers. Hypocrisy and covetousness are signs of worry. That's interesting, isn't it? Hypocrisy and covetousness are signs of worry. That is, we worry about our own importance because we do not want to be seen to be less than other people. And we worry about our security and our well-being rather than trusting God who loves each of us so dearly. Jesus tells us very clearly and plainly. He says, I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is worth more than food and your body more than clothing. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's pretty straightforward. Jesus says, I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Are you worrying about everyday life? In fact, this is so important that Jesus spent a long time on the topic. Why? Because we do worry about these things so quickly and easily. In fact, the word anxious means to be torn apart. Warren Wearsby likens it to a ship being tossed by a storm. To be out of control, have that feeling that you're being pushed around by forces far greater than yourself. The word worry comes from an old English word meaning to strangle. It's interesting, isn't it? Do you worry to the point where you feel like you're being strangled? It's a rather apt meaning when we think of what worry does to our lives. And we too often find ourselves getting anxious or worrying about the same things, food and clothing. Not because we don't have enough, rather we can't stop ourselves wanting more. The world's commercial systems are built around two things. Fashion, be they clothing or cars, houses or hobbies, and food, be it pizzas or pavlovas, water or wine. If you took away fashion and food, our shopping centres would be like ghost towns. I cannot believe when I go to the shopping centre, the number of clothing stores that just line down the way you walk. Amazing. And the big food courts. Just think about how much of your weekly income you spend on fashion and food. Not just clothing, doing the house up, getting the car spruced up, all those sorts of things. Jesus knew about this because he saw it in his own culture. In the parable Jesus told about the wealthy farmer, the people could identify with the farmer they would have loved to have been in his place, looking forward to putting his feet up and relaxing, not worrying about anything else. 
or anyone else. After all, we say, isn't this what life is all about? Aren't we supposed to work hard and be rewarded? To build or buy houses, cars, to raise families, to undertake hobbies, to travel the world? For many of our friends, this is an acceptable way of life. And notice that Jesus doesn't say that any of these things are wrong. Jesus does not have a go at wealthy people. He has a go at how we treat our wealth. These things in themselves are not wrong. However, all too easily, the pursuit of these things become all-consuming. And it causes great worry. We worry if we do not have things or we go into debt to get them and then we worry about how we're going to pay for it. But Jesus said, do not worry. Don't worry about food. Or we might, don't worry about clothes or homes or cars or education. Don't worry about things. We've all stopped at times to admire beautiful flowers. I found it that the flower on the screen is a lily. That's what Jesus talks about. How he clothes the lily. I actually like lilies. They smell beautiful. They look beautiful. And Jesus picked up on this when he said, look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work to make their clothing. Yet King Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Notice how Jesus moves from the lesser to the greater. If God feeds the birds, surely he will feed his children. If he clothes the flowers of the field with a beauty that is here one day and gone the next, surely he will clothe and house his people. I love Jesus' words in verse 32 that says, Don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. It's great encouragement on Father's Day, isn't it? Now, I love any mention of the kingdom of God. I grew to love that term when I was studying at Bible College. I was fascinated by what it meant to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Jesus used this phrase when he was speaking about, an earthly, uh, was speaking about not an earthly place, not even a heavenly place, but a spiritual kingdom making up of those who truly follow Jesus, the King. I may be an Australian citizen by birth, but when I turned to Jesus as my Saviour and Lord at the age of nine, I became a citizen of another kingdom, the kingdom of God. This kingdom has no borders, it has no single language, but it has a distinctive culture. It's a culture free from worry because its citizens look only to a heavenly father who loves them, who loves us dearly. And if God can look after the birds and the flowers, surely he can look after those of us he has given the ability to work. Jesus is not suggesting that we just sit down and wait for God to feed us. I was admiring some pigeons walking around our patio yesterday. What were they doing? They were working hard, looking for food. Their heads were going up and down like mad things. 
God's given them ability. He provides the seed. They need to find it. Likewise, he's given us talents and abilities to work. But God also encourages us to trust him and to cooperate with him in using the talents and the abilities he has given to each of us. Friends, I honestly believe that we can be free from worry. Free from living in pointless anxiety. Jesus came to give us peace. But we must trust him with both today and our future. There's two takeaways in this message, I believe. One of them is in Pastor Mark's very good notes in this week's newsletter. You need to read them. You need to put them into practice. My contribution is where Jesus says, are you ready? Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. What? Are you telling us, Bob, to sell everything and give the proceeds to the poor? Won't that make me one of the poor? Not at all. If you live in Australia, it doesn't matter what your income is or your lack of income is, if you live in Australia, you are amongst the top 10% of the wealthy of the world. That's a fact. 90% of the world lives on less than you do. That's a responsibility for us, isn't it? Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. That is, he exaggerates a bit to get your attention. But don't lose the point. Your takeaway, if you're serious today, is to spend some time soon to quietly sit and think about all the possessions that you do not need. I'm not suggesting a junk drive, but it's a way we can declutter. We can find those things that are no longer relevant to who we are now and raise some funds, not to be spent by us, but to give to those less fortunate than ourselves. Maybe you might like to support a missionary family. Give something that you've got to them. Let's not just do it to our front line with money that the church has given us. Let's take what Pastor Mark has been sharing with us over the last weeks and month to take what is excess to what we have and use it on our front line. Do we really take God at his word? Jesus says, trust God. Don't put your security in the things that can be burnt and just disappear. It might even mean selling your house and downsizing. I don't know. But God does. So where is your heart? You may have a great fortune to live in Australia, the great fortune to live in Australia, with all the many blessings that God has given to us. But is your heart, that is, the things that really influence your thoughts and actions, really in God's kingdom? Do you really trust God? I pray that we will think more about what it means to be a child of God here on earth. Amen.
Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing, intergenerational, and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.